Welcome to Knowledgeable Aging. I'm your host, Jason Kotar. Joining us today to talk about why caregivers need support is Dr. Ebony Green. Dr. Green is the president and CEO of Caregiver Support Services, which specializes in supporting family and professional caregivers across the lifespan through direct supportive services. She is the author of three books, At the Heart of the Matter, Caregiving in the New Millennium, and Reflections from the Soul and currently writes a monthly article that focuses on self-care among caregivers. Dr. Green has extensive experience focused on caregivers' health and wellness, with an emphasis on caregiver stress, burnout, and related com family conflicts. How are you doing today, Dr. Green? I'm doing well, thank you, Jason. Well, good, well, thank you for joining us today. Before we get started, just a little bit of housekeeping. For those joining us today, type your questions in, and time permitting, we will do everything in our power to get those questions answered. So Dr. Green, I'm going to turn it over to you. Why caregivers need support? Thank you and welcome everyone. I want to share some um, background information on the title of this webinar, Why Caregivers Need Support. So a few years ago, I was doing an interview over the radio and the host asked me about um, you know, what's changed that caregivers have needed support or caregivers have taken care of their loved ones since the beginning of time, probably. And so in more recent years, uh, we've had more advocacy in this area. And so what is the um, push or the reason behind the advocacy that we're seeing in, in communities? And I had to think about that for a moment. And it brought me back to growing up, um, being about three or four years old. And I lived in, um, in Iowa. My grandmother was a retiring nurse. And I remember my great grandmother came and spent time with us there. And my grandmother took care of her. On the same block, my um, aunt and cousin lived on the same block. And up the hill, my great grandmother, uh, paternal, um, excuse me, my grandmother, my paternal grandmother lived up the hill and her church was right next to my grandmother's house. And so I just think about the proximity of um, individuals in, in past days, if I needed something, I could, I was young, so I wouldn't have gone by myself, but my cousin was a couple of houses down. My grandmother was up the hill. My great-grandmother, who was living with my grandma, um, was at, the, at our home. And so I got all that love and care, but everybody also were, was working together to care for my great-grandmother. And so what has changed in my mind as I look at caregiving is definitely the proximity, but also, so proximity to family members, but also the busyness of, of our lives. So I wanna talk about five really, um, five or six really key points about why caregivers need support. So the first reason is that caring for a loved one with special needs can be complicated. So in the past, you may have had a loved one or um, family member that needed care, and you could um, provide that care at home because it really wasn't complex. I remember my first uh, job as a nursing assistant, 
we would have clients that would come into the long-term care center simply because they were getting a little older, um, they wanted to have a, a network of individuals, and um, just having that added safety and security was the primary reason. These days, individuals like to prefer to stay home, and we can. Um, even with these complex medical needs, individuals can stay home. The challenge is that most of the time when caregivers are providing this care, they receive very little training. So there may be some discharge planning and instruction, which is often very quick when you are leaving the hospital. You may have um, a home care nurse or um, home care aide coming in when your loved one returns home. But if you go home on a Friday night or a Friday afternoon, your home care services may not start until Monday. So this can be very stressful for families because again, we can care for loved ones. We can make a hospital room out of a, a room at home um, and care for our loved ones at home. But it's the training and support that individuals need because of the complex medical needs of loved ones. Another reason is that there are times when caring for a loved one feels like it can be a thankless job. So we want to provide care. Um, but also in the study US uh, caring in the US, um, they found that almost 60% of individuals felt that they didn't have a choice in um, caring for a loved one. Now, this could be a self-imposed thing. For example, I'm an only child, so if something were to go on with my dad, uh, I would not. I would feel like I definitely would want to be there to care for him. Um, and so that would be something that would be a, an obligation I'm putting on myself. He may not feel that way, but as his daughter, I definitely feel that way. So when I'm saying um, individuals may not have a choice, it could also be that you have siblings that live in the community, um, in a community that is not close to where your, your parents are. So you have siblings that want to help, but you're taking the primary role because you're the one that still lives in the town or city. So that can be um, a stressful thing. The other thing is that think about relationships where you're very close with one another. You can be really calm and kind to um, folks who are coming in to provide care for you. But when you feel frustrated, who do you generally take it out on first? The person that's close to you, whether or not you want to or not. So um, when I'm saying that individuals can feel like it's a thankless job, I'm talking about how you're there to help. Your loved one is frustrated because they don't necessarily want to be in the situation that they're in. And um, and so you're there, and so sometimes there's um, frustration that is misplaced on you, and sometimes we have to work through that. So uh, that is another reason why caregivers need support. This is a big one. Caregiving often occurs after a medical crisis, and it may not end until a loved one passes away. When I think about this, I think about my mother-in-law who a few years ago um, got a very virulent strain of the flu. And she already had um, diabetes and a couple of other 
um, heart condition and a couple of other chronic medical conditions, and she was perfectly fine. And after that really strenuous um, flu, she then ended up needing to be on a ventilator and um, she had a stroke in that whole process. And so from there, she needed to go to a acute care setting. So from the hospital to a short-term acute care setting. And then we needed to get rehab for her to come home. And then she came home. So it was a, a very long um, process and road to get her home. And then we still had um, minor medical crises throughout the caregiving experience. And so you're not necessarily having an opportunity to process all that is happening when you have a loved one that you have a medical crisis. We all wanna be there. We all wanna provide care and support. And then we are managing those crises until um, our loved one passes away. And I'd like to add that sometimes because you have not had an opportunity to process you would be surprised after your loved one passed away. I mean, I'm very proud of the care that our family provided for my mother-in-law, but it took a, quite a while to process her loss and it, and it feels more like a post-traumatic um, stress type of situation. So this is something that some caregivers are starting to talk about. Um, and it does not happen with every caregiving situation, but the longevity of your care maybe a long time and you are in maybe in a high level of stress for a period of time as a result. This is another important thing to think about, um, especially when we reference it back to the question that the interviewer asked me about why, why now, why are we um, advocating in the caring community for supports for caregivers? And if you look at it, on average, caregivers spend about 24 hours providing care. And then um, some caregivers provide about 21 hours of care. But in addition to that, we have a nice sized percentage of individuals who are, who are in addition to providing care for 24 hours a week, they're also working and um, and so when are they having an opportunity to um, de-stress and how are they managing both caring for a loved one and at the same time working a full-time job? And I think this is also complicated or um, made more challenging because we are also going through um, this COVID pandemic where a lot of individuals are blessed to be able to work from home, but that also means that you are also caring for children at home and you also are trying to manage working. Uh, I was talking to a caregiver yesterday who is um, working from home, but also has a loved one that was recently diagnosed with dementia. And so just trying to figure that out and feeling comfortable enough to reach out for help, and then also trying to figure out how, where to start. And if you're spending this much time working and caregiving, when do you have that opportunity to um, look at your situation and find workable solutions? 
The other consideration is that caregiving often requires a long-term commitment. So most of the time, individuals are caring for a longer period of time. Now, I don't have spouses on this particular slide, but the time frame for caring for a spouse, a lot of times individuals, we um, compensate for one another. So we feel like our part of our marriage vows is to care for one another. And so those periods of providing care for a spouse can be even longer, but a lot of times we compensate with one another. So I'm able to do this and manage the finances and the medications, and you're able to do that. And so we kind of um, do some things to adjust. But for folks who are caring for um, a relative who isn't a parent or spouse, they're on average caring for someone for six years. For parents, um, it could be four years. And for non-relatives, on average, 2.3 years. And you think about that, um, often starting with some type of medical crisis and then um, having different times of um, continuity with care where everything is going well, you've got a good plan, you've got your respite care and other things in place, and then there's another medical um, crisis or change in your loved one's condition. And so you're kind of going through these ups and downs over this long-term uh, period of time. So we do want to you know, take that into consideration that caregivers are mainly caring for a longer period of time. I would add to that previous slide that often most of the people that I'm talking to and myself, my husband and I, we've had more than one caregiving experience. So um, that's been very interesting too, caring for his um, dad and his stepdad and his mom um, for over a period of time. And so, you know, um, that can be a consideration too. So it might be more than one episode. The other consideration is that caregiving can be lonely. I know that when my oldest daughter, um, she was 16, and she, we woke up one morning and she was having a, I heard a big thud and I got up because we had a two-year-old and I thought maybe the two-year-old had um, fallen out of the bed or something. And it was actually my daughter and she was having a seizure. She'd been perfectly healthy to that point. And when we um, went to the hospital, she was diagnosed with a, um, what is called a gicliocytoma which if you're going to have a brain tumor, that would be the um, better one. Um, it was a very scary and challenging situation. She's fine now. But over that year, year and a half, um, and I've only now had an opportunity to really reflect on that, but over that year or year and a half of in and out of the hospital, medications, trying to get um, the care that she needed, because she was you know, a high school, um, junior and was um, working and, and at that point where you would be driving and all of that. So her life was very much changed and so was ours. And as a result, I think back on the loneliness that we felt and um, we have very close group of friends 
all of our children are around the same age. We got together all the time. Uh, a lot of the, the, our closest group of friends actually ended up moving to another state around that time. And so being able to travel or feeling comfortable with traveling to go for girls trips, things like that, greatly decreased. And so I have recently thought, okay, when did I start to um, not have as much uh, of a, a break uh, going away, um, hanging out with my girlfriends or my husband hanging out with um, their husbands and trips and things together? And it was really when Asia had her, um, her brain tumor and we really became very close-knit in the family. And so, of course, we have excellent family relations and we still have our close friends, but it was very lonely. The other thing is that when you are um, caring for children and um, loved ones, you're thinking about children with special needs or you're caring for an elderly loved one. If your friends are not in a similar situation of caregiving, they may not be able to relate. And so when you're talking to someone, venting to them, that can feel lonely too. So even though you actually have persons to talk to, um, are they able to relate? The other thing is that you don't want to spend your time when you're, it's your me time or your downtime talking about the challenges that you are facing with caregiving because that can then um, make you not end up you will end up not actually having had a break. So 47% of caregivers, unpaid family, um, have feelings of depression. And so that is something that we think about. And I think that this is um, maybe increased with COVID-19. And um, the other thing I think about with regard to this is that I've heard caregivers say that they have folks that check on them, but sometimes it's not the friend that you feel most comfortable talking with or hanging out with. It may be someone that, you know, um, is checking on you and you're thankful for that, but it may not be the person that's your preference to um, talk to about your caregiving situation and maybe you're not comfortable. And again, that can make it very lonely. So what about workplace solutions? So this was a very interesting, um, this was a very interesting study paper written by Liz O'Donnell. And she was talking about the, the, the premises that um, we really do need to disrupt what's going on with caregivers at work so that we make sure that caregivers are getting the supports that they need. And um, we look at how few caregivers are even getting the geriatric counseling. So like a case management type service, um, individuals who are offered on-ramping programs like um, programs that would help you deal with elder care issues. And then um, programs that would be for uh, maybe looking at an assessment for your loved one for uh, assisted living, very, very small percentage of organizations. Now this is growing. Um, we're seeing more um, companies, organizations recognizing the impact that caregiving can have on 
working caregivers, but we are concerned that so many caregivers are not getting access to these types of services, and therefore, they may not even be bringing it up at work. There may be a fear of sharing that they're having these types of issues, and when that occurs, that's another stress for the caregivers. So I agree with Liz O'Donnell that this is not gonna cut it. We've gotta do more. Something that is important is that we really do need to value the work of caregivers, and this is both paid and unpaid caregivers. What we see is that for even for working um, paid caregivers, so home health aides and nursing assistants and um, other folks who are doing direct care providing, that oftentimes they're not provided or afforded the protections like um, minimum wage and guaranteed paid time off. So some folks, we at least will have some type of um, uh, vacation time. So if something occurs or bereavement time, so if something occurs, we have that time to at least um, start to process what's going on. And there may be additional supports. I'm very excited about this new program um, with Nationwide and Compassion Society Benefits. They launched just last month um, or a couple of months ago, a new insurance plan that I think is going to be powerful for caregivers. The insurance plan is um, a, a benefit where the employer can provide it uh, or the employee can opt into it. And it's kind of like your disability services where you would um, pay a certain amount that would be um, deducted from your, your weekly or biweekly pay. And then should you have a medical family medical um, emergency where you're caring for your elder or uh, child with special needs and you would have the um, Family Medical Leave Act, this complements that so that 10 out of those 12 weeks um, a caregiver would be able to recoup or um, get a benefit of 80% of their salary. So this is a, a game changer in my mind because a lot of folks will take the paid medical leave, but they won't have the ability to budget for the care that they need to provide. Um, so you're worrying about your financial well-being at the same time. So, so this is really an exciting um, opportunity and there is an article on the caregiversupportservices.org website that talks about compassionate um, society and the new caregiver benefit. So what can we do? Um, uh, these next few slides are some excellent resources to address some of the challenges that caregivers face. So the first thing is we want to encourage caregivers to develop a plan. And this is vitally important because um, we want to make sure that at least we have the proper paperwork in, in, um, in line, that we know where certain things are, um, we, that we have our loved one's preferences listed and written out and that we, can, we know where to find that information. So it sounds easy for me to say to, for you, to you to develop a plan. But we actually have a five-step process 
on um, caregiversupportservices.org. And it is the blue tab when you go to the website. And it says caregiver support. And there are five steps in that process. And it walks you through how you could develop a plan, including celebrating your successes and taking care of yourself, which we feel is very important. So there are um, uh, infographics and questions that you can ask. There is a worksheet that you can print out that talks about um, the things that you would want to have in the plan, how you might implement it, who you should involve, how to evaluate your success, and then taking care of yourself. Another thing that we say in caregiving, it's kind of our mantra, is to take care of yourself. Take care, make sure you take care of yourself. And a lot of people, um, we feel that, we mean that, we want everyone to take care of themselves as caregivers. We know that that is the key to longevity and that's going to keep your loved one home and keep you safe and, and well. But oftentimes we don't know where to start when it comes to taking care of ourselves. So we developed Ask Emma. It's based on my dissertation research about caregiver wellness. And Emma is a, a wonderful tool. Um, you answer the questions on the Ask Emma um, tab. And once you answer those questions, they're related to your caregiver well-being. And then um, you submit. And Emma will tell you, she will talk to you and say, hey, this is where you're doing really well. And here's an area where you might improve your wellness. And this is for you, the caregiver. So this is not about what you can do to take care of your loved one. This is about what you can do to take care of yourself because oftentimes individuals don't know where to start to do that. Um, each section that you would um, take this questionnaire also includes links to additional resources and a guide for that particular area of wellness. So I really encourage you to access and share Emma. Um, your information isn't shared and she's wonderful. And she's named for my mother-in-law, um, Emma. The other thing that we want to encourage caregivers to do is to access training. And this is very important because remember earlier we talked about individuals caring for loved ones with very complex medical needs. So this may mean you're doing things with catheters or um, feeding tubes or uh, medications, um, those types of things. And so we want caregivers to access training and to make sure that they are feeling comfortable in addition to the discharge training that they may get or the home care aid coming in. And the, the beauty of these courses is that they can be taken from home and you um, will get a certificate of completion and you have access to those courses at any time. And they also come with um, guides. So we have two thus far. Uh, we have infection control or preventing the spread of infection, which we felt was important with coronavirus right now. But there are all types of um, bacteria and viruses and um, excellent uh, 
tips on how to prevent the spread of infection, and then normal aging. So what do you expect as far as, or what should you expect or report to the doctor as far as aging, because that is vitally important. And um, there are other organizations that offer training, so you know um, we're just encouraging that caregivers access training. The other thing we encourage you to do is to go to uh, caregiversupportservices.org and become a member. We have recently launched caregiver member forums, and we also have an email that comes out twice a week that has any new articles that are posted on our caregiver support services website. And so you would get an email twice a week with new um, articles and resources. And then you can also go to the site to um, join the member forums where you can talk about your caregiving situation. And we have several forums. So if you're caring for a child with special needs or you're caring for an aging parent or you're grieving or you work in this field um, or you're an employer, we have specific forums there for you to join. Um, and the idea, again, is that we're always thinking about, as caregiver support services, that we're a place to share, a place to learn, and a place to turn. And so um, we want caregivers to uh, feel supported and have access to the um, resources that they need. So we can be reached, the best way to reach us is at www.caregiversupportservices.org. And um, on there, should you need to contact us, you can just go on the contact us link on the Caregiver Support Services um, site. And those emails come directly to me or my husband, Terrence, and we are the co-founders of Caregiver Support Services. And there's a plethora of um, resources and supports, and we really want to encourage you to share them, and if you're caregiving, to bookmark them and use them. Very good, thank you, Dr. Green. Um, question has come in, is your program aimed at paid caregivers or unpaid caregivers? Well, the beauty of our program is that we do provide um, support for family and frontline caregivers. So we work with both family caregivers and there are resources for families. And we also work with frontline caregivers, so nursing assistants, medication aides, um, and, and their employers. So um, it's really about um, the whole caregiver base. Uh, another question here, uh, you were just going back to the part about work. It, it asks, how can employers of paid caregivers get away with not paying minimum wage? You know, I think in some re regard, we're talking about maybe private okay. um, care. And so if you have someone who's maybe a live-in caregiver, um, I've, ha I've worked with a few um, caregivers where we trained them some years ago and they're have found positions where they live in and then the family um, pays that person. And so in those in those situations, should the your loved one need to go to the hospital or um, God forbid they pass away, then the caregiver who was living in the home now is usually looking for a place 
and also a position. And so they're going that time without compensation. And that does happen. It's not really frequent, but it does happen. Right. Do we know, uh, somebody asked, do we know the percentage of caregiving that is provided by paid professionals versus unpaid professionals? Um, I know that the percentage of paid professionals, or excuse me, the percentage of unpaid professionals is about 80% of care is provided by family and unpaid, uncompensated. And that is why family caregivers are so important is because we are providing the crux to the, the large percentage of care and um, we know how expensive paid caregiving can be. So if you kind of equate those two looking at um, unpaid and paid, you know that it's a huge percentage of the population and a huge percentage of healthcare is uncompensated. Right. Well, Dr. Green, how can people find you? Well, they can visit um, caregiversupportservices.org. Um, and I really encourage you to do that. And you can also contact us directly by going to the caregiversupportservices.org website. And um, there's a contact um, questionnaire on each page. And so should you find that you need something or you have a question or you're looking for partnerships or um, opportunities for training, things like that, you can contact us there. Very good. Well, this uh, very informative webinar will be on our YouTube page. Uh, so we go into YouTube, type in Knowledgeable Aging, go ahead and subscribe. We have uh, live webinars, three live webinars each week. Um, also, as uh, this webinar will be converted to a podcast, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Tunes. So until next time, I'm your host, Jason Kotar, and this is Knowledgeable Aging.